Hi there, and a very warm welcome to Season 3, Episode 35 of People Soup. It's Ross McIntosh here. Well, the ACT Matrix is just a really useful tool for helping you get clear about what you really care about, and then planning how you want to live your life more in line with your goals and values. Mm. It's just a perspective-taking exercise, that's what it is. We've been using it for quite a few years now. We've used it individually with children, with, with young people. We've used it at team levels. We've used it at family levels. And in the recent COVID situation, we've just been running out of training on it across, I think we've done 60 or 70 different workshops on it now. So it's just a really versatile tool, which um, I'm now more convinced anyone could just come along, pick up, and either use it for themselves or share with colleagues. Peace, supers. Thanks for tuning in. This week, it's part two of my chat with pioneering psychologist, Dr. Jim Lemon. You've just heard Jim talking about his use of the ACT matrix in multiple settings, and we cover loads more in our chat. Jim charts the evolution of the adoption of the matrix and the pro-social approach to changes within families, within and between teams and services in the NHS. To hear his illustrative examples and the way he describes the impact and growth of the approach is part of who he is as a human being, generous and humble. Listen on, I predict you'll feel the potential of the approach too. After listening to Jim, you'll also probably want to sign up for his workshop at the ACBS UK ROI conference in November, and you can find more about that in the link in the show notes. People Soup is a community of people who are interested in behavioural science at work and how we can make it accessible, fun, and useful for ourselves and each other. At work, behavioural science has the capacity to enhance our well-being, help us be the person we want to be more often, and provide us with perspectives to enable cooperation, collaboration, and innovation. It was psychologist Abraham Maslow who said, A first-rate soup is more creative than a second-rate painting, and that was the inspiration for this podcast. More than ever, the world of work is a heady mix of people, behaviour, events and challenges. When the blend is right, it can be first-rate. Behavioural science and psychology has a lot to offer in terms of recipes, ingredients, seasonings, spices and utensils. So welcome to People Soup, where we aim to nourish the mind and flourish at work. Reviews are in for our last episode, which is part one of my conversation with Jim. One of his former colleagues sent me a message on Twitter to say how much they enjoyed the episode and how they'd always found Jim to be a driver of change with a can-do approach to making a difference. Amen to that, and thanks to everyone who tuned in, reviewed and shared it. And if you'd like to find out more about the ACBS UK and ROI conference in November, you'll be wanting to have a look at acbsukroi.co.uk also in the show notes. If you do enjoy the podcast, I'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and review it, whatever platform you're on. It helps us amplify our voice and reach more people with stuff that could be useful. If there's an episode you particularly like, you can also drop some change into my virtual tip jar over at ko-fi.com slash peoplesoup. And I'd like to send thanks and appreciation to our most recent sponsors on ko-fi.com. They are Teresa Burrows, Dr. Richard Coates, Lisa Falkingham and Dame Melanie Walker. For now, get a brew on and have a listen to part two of my conversation with Dr. Jim Lemon. Jim, one of the reasons we're here together is to talk about your workshop at the ACBS UK and Republic of Ireland conference in November. I wonder if we could dive into that a bit. It's called Introduction to the ACT Matrix. Tell us a bit about it, please. Well, the ACT matrix is just a really useful tool for helping you get clear about what you really care about and then planning how you want to live your life more in line with your goals and values. Mm -hmm. It's just a perspective-taking exercise. That's what it is. We've been using it for quite a few years now. We've used it individually with children, with, with young people. We've used it at team levels. We used it at family levels, and in the recent COVID situation, we've just been running out of training on it across, I think we've done 60 or 70 different workshops on it now. So it's just a really versatile tool, which um, I'm now more convinced anyone could just come along, pick up, and either use it for themselves or share with colleagues. It's also, what I find, is a really nice introduction to the whole CBS world. It's a nice visual tool, and I guess the idea of the workshop is we'll just introduce it, we'll just work through it, and hopefully people can leave with uh, a new skill. I love the, 
the humbleness of what you're describing here, because you are a pioneer in this. More people will use the matrix with individual and individual maybe clinical work or coaching, things like that. But fewer people are using it in teamwork, in work with families of children with long-term health conditions, etc. So what sort of scenarios will you be covering? Can you expand on any of that? Okay, so what we'll probably do is we'll just we'll just introduce it. I'll just a little brief bit of background about it. And then we just do it live. So I'll just walk everyone through this exercise. And mm. then we'll just see what happens. So it's not planned. The whole thing is just an experiment. You know, you just try something out and see what happens. So I don't know if there'll be just me in the room in my hamster wheel. You, you know, perhaps... <laughs> <laughs> perhaps perhaps it might just be that or there might be more people they might be from different backgrounds they might be wanting different things but i think we'll just start live and just go with it so there's not really a set format we'll just get together and um spend a moment gathering ourselves in the room mm. and then i'll just introduce as i do it's just a perspective it's a tool which many people have found useful and i'm happy to share it mm. if people would be interested and then we just walk through the exercise. We'll do it live and then get some feedback and see how people might want to apply it in different contexts. So I don't know who's going to be there in the room. I'm not sure what they'll be after, but I think it's that versatile. People can come with curiosity. They may have heard of the Matrix. They may have never heard of the Matrix. Yeah, and, it, and our recent experiences shows that that's absolutely fine. It's applicable in so many different contexts. Mm. So, I mean, I could, I could walk you through basically what it looks like now, or we could wait to the workshop. I mean, it's just two lines in the circle, as you, as you know, on a bit of paper. Mm. You know, that's yeah. the beauty of it. It's that, what's that phrase? It's that simplicity, the other side of complexity. I think, you know, Kevin Polk and Benji Shondorf, I think they said in their workshops, it's a little bit like, you know, driving a car. You can just get in, learn how to drive the car, and that's great. You don't really need to know how the engine works. If you want to, you can lift up and have a look and understand the mechanics, but they've sort of done all that work for you. So you can just get in and get away and move on with this tool. Love it. And I, and I absolutely agree. I think it is something that's so accessible. And then you can start to realize, as you've clearly done, the, the different contexts or groups that you can use this yeah. with. Think about these principles of you know, from evolutionary science about variation, selection, retention. You know, it's kind of an ongoing process of variation. The matrix has been around for a few years now and people have been changing it and adapting it to different contexts, which is fantastic. I certainly, you know, learned a, a cookbook approach and stuck with that quite a bit. But the more I'm mixing with other people, you realise people add parts to it. I, I like the addition you've made to it. That's a new one, isn't it? You put that little bit in the middle mm. about noticing noticing your experiences, the dimensions of experiences, and you add that bit about, was it with curiosity and kindness? Yeah. That's a really nice, yeah, I hadn't come across that before until I saw you doing that. So sure, I can, I mean, do you want me just to sort of tell you what the different parts of it are? Yeah, that would be great. I think it would give us a real sense. And then, and then if the P-Supers want, they can actually look at your, your, your diagram in, in the show, which I'll put in the show notes. Ross, if you want to, you can get a bit of paper if, if you'd like to. Yeah, I'm gonna do. I it. can't. I can't show you the screen now, but you could. You could join us out. And, and as could any of your PC If you just get a, a regular size bit of paper. Perfect. Yeah. And got if I could uh, invite you to draw a small circle in the middle of that piece of paper. I don't know, maybe the size of ten pp, something like that. Mm. And then from that circle, you can draw two lines. So one line is horizontal from left to right, and the other one is vertical from top to bottom. And leave about, leave about an inch at the bottom of the page there. And so you should have a circle with a, a cross coming out of it. So you've got those four quadrants. On the right hand side, where the arrow is emanating towards the uh, side of the page there, if you just write toward on that. And that horizontal line to the left end of it, if you just write away. So you should have a circle and there's a horizontal uh, line. The arrow goes to the right and that says toward and it goes to the left that says away. Does that make sense? Perfect. Yeah, got it. And Thank then you. you've got on the line, the vertical one at the top of it, you can put inner thoughts and feelings. And at the 
bottom of it, the bottom of that arrow, you can write outer actions. Okay, so then we have this, we've got these four quadrants here. So the first thing that we can focus on is that mammals, us, we tend to either be moving towards something, so that might be towards something that's important or something that matters to you, or we can be moving away from pain. Okay, so that's the, the discrimination there between away and toward. And what we know is that when we're moving towards things that matter to us, we have more time for more vitality, more energy, than if we're trying to move away or get away from something. So the second aspect of our experience is the difference between what's going on in our minds and what you are actually doing, what people could see you doing. Okay, so, you know, sometimes you can go around all day and you realise you're being an autopilot. You know, if you're driving home sometimes, you're not quite sure how you got there and you miss different sections. Sometimes we're living a lot in our own heads. And just by sometimes pausing and just noticing where we are, it allows us to realise that those thoughts, those feelings, they can be driving our behaviour without us perhaps being fully aware of it. So in the circle there, we write uh, noticing. And what I really like is the bit that you've added to it. You say, don't you, noticing my experience with kindness and curiosity. Mm. So now with this tool, we're able to notice those two dimensions and we can sort any experiences into one of those quadrants. Anything about that not make sense? No, I, I love the way I love the way you okay. describe it, Jim. Thank it's, you. It's, there's no trick questions to that at all. So what we might do is then work our way around the quadrants just to, to put some information in there. Mm. So how about the top right? We might call that number one. Yeah. And we might write a little question there. It might be, I don't know, who or what really matters most to me? We might, underneath that question, also write, what qualities do I want to bring? My apologies. That's a hospital trolley going past the door. Can you hear that? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, oh, gosh. Yeah, it sounds like a Sherman tank going up the corridor. <laughs> but, um, I, I think it's probably just hospital supplies. Okay. How about if we just, we'll just... Uh, Put the questions in there then we can work through them a little bit so yeah. the bottom right we might put that number two we might in there put the question if i was really living in line with the values and the overarching goals i expressed in one what would i be doing more of what would i be doing less of now of course i'm just giving you the vanilla option here but you can adapt those questions you know whatever fits your context mm. So that number one, you know, who or what really matters to me, that could be a general one, but it might also be, you know, what matters to me about this situation. Yeah. So we've been doing it a lot at the moment in this COVID situation, what really matters to me. Or it might be what's really important to your listeners or your P-Supers or what's really important to you about doing podcasts. Mm. You, can, you, can, you can adapt it to whatever the context is. Mm. And I think that's, that, that's the beauty of it, yeah. Yeah, so that allows us to get some sort of clarity about what, what we really care about. Mm -hmm. what's really important to us and the, the kind of way we want to be in this world and it also links into what that would actually look like so if you're feeling you know quite artistic you could draw a little camera on that bottom half because they're things they're the actions people would actually see us doing mm. so it might be i don't know what do you want to go with this podcast covid general life we can go whatever um do you want to do the podcast here the p super yeah, go for it. So that might be, okay, if I'm filling that in, it might be what, what matters to me about being part of the, the being a peace super. Well, it might be about, yeah, I, I agree with the value of, of sharing the knowledge of CBS and how people can use it in their own lives and use it in their workplace. Absolutely, that's something really important. And I guess I want to be authentic and I want to be useful. You know, that's the kind of quality you want to bring. And we've spoken before, I really like your work and you've really helped me out with some work here. And I want to sort of continue to develop that, that relationship because I think it's, it's a great thing that you're doing with the workplace and I think it ties in some way pro-social. So the whole, you know, there's a whole load of really important stuff there. Mm. And I guess the second question, and if I was living in line with those values and goals, I guess I'm going to be showing up and actually doing this, you know, actually put myself out there and doing, doing an interview with yourself. That's what you might see or hear me doing, you know, because it's all very well me sitting there thinking, yeah, I'd really like to help, but uh, no, I'm not going to do anything about it. So if you move over to the left-hand side, yeah, okay, top left quadrant, we might write there the question, what thoughts and feelings might show up and hook me or get me in the way of moving towards one or two? That might be thoughts, that might be feelings. That's what I mean by 
hook it means they just grab your attention they pull you in mm. so if we're talking about the p super podcast for me it might be oh shit, you know it was great listening to ray last week but now i'm gonna be thinking it's not gonna be as as eloquent or, or as witty or as compassionate as, as, as Ray is. Or I might say something wrong and it seems stupid. Or I might say something embarrass myself or someone else. You know, that, that kind of stuff's going to show up. And then we might move to number four. So that would be the bottom left. And that might be if there was a camera on the wall, what might it see me doing when I'm really hooked by the thoughts and emotions in three? Okay. So... I guess in my example, well, it might be, I'll keep avoiding it. <laughs> it might be, oh, I'll just tell Ross, yeah, I'm really busy at the moment. Let's maybe look at a couple of time. And if I could do that long enough, eventually it will just fade away. Or it might be, I'll over-prepare. So I'll send you a list of possible questions to ask so I could, you know, and I send that email. If you could set up so you can make some comments and I can make a witty off-the-cuff remark completely spontaneously. But we can rehearse it a few times first. And I guess, along with four, we might want to add a sub-question there, maybe 4A, is how well do those behaviours in four, how well do they work in the short and long term? So it could be that if I notice that I feel anxious, you know, have thoughts about, oh, going to sound rubbish, it's not going to, it won't be good enough, whatever else. If I get hooked those thoughts and feelings, I might delay, keep moving the date back, and in the short term, that would actually work. That would be pretty effective. I'd probably feel a lot better about it. But in the long term, that might not move me toward what I care about. So my behavior, it's kind of been more about getting away from that pain, from that discomfort, not so much about moving towards what I care about. And then there might be at the bottom of that little diagram where we've left maybe a little inch there. I might then say, okay, let's just take a step back and look at that, the whole of that experience. So I might write there number five, noticing the whole of my experience in this moment what else do i need to do to remain aware compassionate and effective so when you step back and you look at that diagram it gives us an idea that this is what i really care about these are the things that i want to do to move toward it this is the stuff that shows up and these are the things that i can do to try and get away from that pain how's it working and this is not about right or wrong this is not about whether things are true or not it's just our experience it's just a game it's a way to sort that stuff out there is no right, wrong. It really isn't a judgment. It's just about recognizing, you know, that shared humanity that I'm pretty sure that most of the people, if they're asked to come onto this PC, but will have the similar thoughts. That's a human condition. You know, we don't want to be exposed. There's a, there's a threat and our natural response is that fight or flight to so try and get away from it in some way. Mm. Yeah, so we don't need to be harsh and critical. I think it's about just being open to that and just allowing it to be as it is. And it's kind of being in contact with ourselves as whole human beings both the parts that would be happy to share the stuff that you value about and doing that kind of stuff but also being okay with that stuff that's going on the inside those thoughts feelings that uh, that fear all that kind of stuff as well not pushing you away just saying that that's me as a whole person and i guess that number five bit about well when you notice all that what else do i need to do and that is well maybe some bit about that is just maybe keeping that there as a bit of a reference point to say what's going on here with my behavior what's influencing it here are there small steps i can take are there small goals i can you know are there ways i can check things out to maybe allay some of that anxiety but not be ruled by it mm. so that's just an example for here now because that's the thing that's currently going on did that kind of make some sense i'm gonna hold up my Oh, that's cool. It's not yeah. quite neat enough, but I will hey. I will share a version of that with the P Supers. But but Jem, that was captivating. That was amazing. I really love the way you were flexible enough just to ask me to draw the matrix myself and then took me through it. But yeah. I think what's so powerful is your willingness to be vulnerable and open and talk about yourself coming on the podcast. It resonates so much with me as the host because mm. I have very similar stuff going on. Yeah. Like, how can I interview these gods and goddesses in my world when I'm just this eager to has a crack at things? I really notice this thing. And every time I press publish on an episode, I'm like, this is going to be the one where someone yeah. goes, you're an idiot. What yeah. are you talking about, man? And it's funny, isn't it? Because before you're recording, we were chatting 
And I was saying, what I'm really enjoying about pea soup and the pea soupers is that openness and that willingness. It's actually made it a very enjoyable experience. This is actually a human who's talking to you. Mm. You know, so as I was saying, whether it's being vulnerable or the ums and ers being kept in there, you know, it feels like this is what it means to be a human. This person's out there willing to make themselves vulnerable. And I think that's where you get trust comes from that. Mm. So if people display, if they're willing willing to display some vulnerability and that's richly rewarded, that's Mm. going to start to build that trust and that connection. Mm. Whereas if that is met with an aversive experience, it's not going to happen again. So I think there's a part of us that's kind of modeling that. So especially when we're working with families or or people or or groups, it's modeling, first Mm. of all. So sometimes we start off with something fairly lighthearted-ish, you know, I think I've, I've kind of disclosed the fact that I was thinking, oh, God, right, Div. But that's not some hugely traumatic experience. But still, it's a graded step in that direction. So we might do that. And then what we'll, we do is we might just ask people to share what their experiences were of it or what showed up for them. Mm. So I might walk through it or we might just do it a second at a time. I really don't know. I, I've, I've not really planned it until it happens. We'll just see how things go in the room at the time. But you get there in the end. It doesn't matter which way around you go. I learned from you because you do it in a slightly different way. You, know, you do it on the floor with tape and everything, mm. which I think is fantastic. Absolutely great. And I think I've probably taken a few of your phrases. I've watched you and listened to you on um, a few of the workshops. I thought, actually, that's a really nice phrase. The way you put something and I can see the reaction on the participants, no, that really works. So I'd definitely take that one away. So yeah, so that would be maybe the fiddler option. And then we might uh, say, where do you want to go with this? What showed up? And then once we've done that, we've then got this framework. So the experiences that people um, are having, we can then put them onto our matrix. So I might say, you know, what, what shows up for people? And they might say, oh, you know, I can never do that though. Or something like that. That, like you make it look easy, but actually if I did that, it would get screwed up. It wouldn't work. Or, or someone would challenge me on it. And it might be, okay, where would we place that on our matrix? And people are really good at working it out very quickly. So, okay, that sounds like that would be the sort of thought that I might have about it. And if I, well, I don't want to ignore that completely because there might be some useful information there. I don't want to push that away. But if I'm pushed around by it, then I'll never take that risk and try it out. So it might be, okay, let's go bottom right and try out some small steps. Let's actually mm. test that out. Let's test that out maybe with people who I know who are safe just to get some feedback and start to build those skills. Brilliant. I wish I could attend all the workshops. Yeah. I think, I think the beauty is they'll all be recorded. So I think, if I've got that right, they'll all be recorded. So we That's can good. have the joy of attending all three. That's good. That's always nice to raise your anxiety levels as well, isn't it? To, to let, let's record this so we have some evidence that will be sealed there now about yeah. your various incompetencies or, or ramblings or, or whatever else so that's that's always good as a live experiment there how you have to make space for those thoughts and feelings but you want your hamster wheel yeah i know there's a there's an irony there isn't there yeah you know i'll be really quite anxious about oh man when i get the right word but then i'll be quite happy to be lowered on stage in a giant hamster wheel <laughs> with a silver costume on and yeah Jim, I'm really interested in how you're using this tool, the matrix, in, in your work teams, uh, individuals, services. So could you take us on a little bit of a tour? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. Now, obviously, if I'm talking about patients, to respect confidentiality, I'll, I change some details around, but hopefully keep the essence of the story there. So you'll notice if I'm pausing sometimes, I'm deliberately making sure that no one could possibly identify anyone. So this certainly gives a flavour of it. So a few years back when we started here, we had some young people with long-term health conditions, uh, some life-limited conditions, who are really struggling with managing their conditions. So they were struggling in terms of taking their medication or doing the exercises they need to do to stay well. And there's a whole number of reasons for that. So they were struggling and there was conflict between them and parents because the parents knew quite rightly what the child or young person would need to do to stay well. So there was a level of frustration and fear for them as well. Also, some of the clinics were they're just really difficult. They're really awkward because it felt sometimes as if the, the parent was either having to support the child by sort of colluding or maybe, you know, not being fully open with the truth. 
because they were kind of trying to protect their child who felt they were being put upon by the team. And the team felt they weren't really connecting with the parents, that they'd become a bit more of a them and us sort of stuff. So there's a lot of tension around this. And also within the team, you know, people care about their job and they care about the children and people. And if they know that a child isn't taking medication and doing the things that are keeping them well, that's going to raise a lot of anxiety for them as well. So there's a lot of awkwardness around. And we started using the ACT matrix with a few young people just to get a sense of what was going on for them. So this was an individual session and these people weren't, they weren't keen on psychology or being part of the team or clinics at all. You know, they'd often not make eye contact or put their hood up so you wouldn't actually see anything at all. But we, we started working around the, the matrix and various versions of it, just get an idea about what was important to them, what do they care about. And what tended to come out is things like, well, I just want to be able to get on my life and just be normal. That is just see my friends, go to school, uh, carry on playing football, all that just normal developmentally appropriate stuff. That's what was important to them. But what showed up that got in the way for them was having this health condition. Because as soon as they thought about it, it reminded them that there was something wrong with them or they had this life-limiting condition, which means they might die early. That's a pretty heavy thing for anyone to, to have to, to carry on with them. So they'll just avoid it. And avoidance works. It's a great strategy. You know, uh, so what would happen is they'd have a reminder to say it's time to take a medication or do a physio. And although they knew that would keep them well, that's a reminder that I've got something wrong with me. So it's much easier just not to, to do it and carry on playing Xbox or, or chatting with friends or whatever else. So it kind of makes sense. But then we were asking, okay, so that the strategy of avoidance, how does that work? Yeah, short term, absolutely it works. That's why we do it, it makes sense. But longer term, does that help you get on with your life? And it might be maybe not because if people didn't do their physio or took medication, they might get unwell and then have to spend longer in hospital to get better. So they'd actually miss out on, on seeing their friends more. So we kind of worked a way around and said, okay, given that how you want to be able to get on with your life and do normal stuff and this stuff shows up for you, are there small steps you can take that are going to help you carry on with your life? And that would be, okay, eventually we got to, someone realises they need to take the medication. That brings up the thoughts for them. I hate this. I don't have this condition. It makes me feel weird. It makes me feel different. It terrifies me. It stresses me out. I can't manage it. And they take their medication because that was a step to getting on with their life. You know, so we kind of made that connection between that thought and feeling, instead of being a trigger for an avoidance move, it was a trigger for a toward move. And we started off small, so some of the behaviours we were looking at were things like in the team meeting to perhaps make eye contact. Sometimes young people, they, they learn very quickly how to play a team. They know exactly the games. They know what people are asking and they know the answers to give, whether or not that actually reflects their truth. But, you know, they know that if you're in a clinic and you say, yeah, of course I've done medication, I've been taking this and the other, that you get a positive reply from the team. Whereas if you say, no, I haven't done anything, you're going to get a negative reply. So that, that's not going to be very reinforcing. So we started off with things like, okay, let's see about, you know, I make an eye contact and see what happens. So there was some change to the individual child. And then we asked if we could share that with the parents to say, look, I think there's something really important here because if the child raises their concerns with the parent, the parent understandably would be anxious and be saying, well, look, you just got to go and do it. You know, you've got to go and do it because you've got to keep yourself well. And also you get me, I get grief from the team if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So there's a tension there as well. So I met parents separately and we just said, look, this is some of the stuff that's shown up in this tool. Some people think it's useful. If you'd like to, I can just walk you through it and see what you make of it. So we did the exact same approach with parents and then you hit gold because obviously for parents, what's important to them, it comes up pretty clear about this, their children, you know, that's what they care. And that's where the pain is, you know, how these things are linked together, love and pain, two sides of the same coin. But they love their children and the pain is, my oh God, they've got a condition. Maybe I feel guilty about that or I, I wish I could take it away from them. This is really difficult stuff. And I know that they need to do certain things to, to keep them well for longer. And when that anxiety and that fear is driving behaviour, they'll be more likely to go into nagging mode or say, look, just get on with it, just do it. You know, because it, they were being driven by their, their emotions too. So that's completely understandable. And then we were saying, okay, so are there things that we can learn to do when we notice this stuff showing up? So then we practice that. So when you have that understandable response of wanting to respond in that way, just pause in and think, okay, is there a different way? 
And then what we did is we put the child and the parent matrixes together. So it looked a bit like a tennis court. You know, you've got the singles part and then you've got mm. the double court. It's that extra bit on there. And then we're just, we started to notice all these similarities. You know, the same stuff was going on for, for the child, the same stuff, the same patterns for the parent. So we thought, okay, great, we'll just go with this. And then the team noticed differences in, in behaviours. And again, they're curious, you know, that's they're very much values led and we're wanting to know what's going on. How could we build on that? So we said to the team, look, this is a tool which some people found useful. We've used it with a few young people and families. If you're interested, I'm happy and they're happy for me to share it with you. So we just shared it. And then people in the team, obviously curious, say, yeah, that sounds a bit like how we are. So then we, we thought, well, maybe we should do this at a team level. You know, so as a team, what, what do we really care about? And that would be young children, young people thriving to be well. What shows up for us? And that might be, well, when people don't take the medication, that makes us feel worried, anxious, or we feel like, you know, these are the, that's the reason we're here to help. And we, we can't do that. Mm-hmm. So we're more likely then to either get into uh, pathologizing it, you know, and let's just send the psychology to go fix this person. Um, good luck. Or, or, or we might start to come up with ideas and reasons for the parents. Not so much parent blaming, but just, you know, put the responsibility on them, which doesn't work. That just leads to more, more conflict. So then we said, okay, how can we use this tool to make some little steps toward it? And we came up with a number of things like we created a culture that we wanted children to feel safe, feel trusted and trust to support. And that's what our, our values were. So when a child came in and we asked about medication, that kind of stuff, we tried to create the atmosphere that we valued honesty. So it may not be the answer that we wanted, but we really appreciated that because that allowed us to then think about how we problem solve. So in fairness, the courage of young people and children who took those first steps and started a move towards honesty, I think that's a, that's a hugely courageous move. You know, for a child in, a, in that context, just to maybe be a little bit more honest. So, you know, say they're supposed to be physio five times a week and they used to say they did it five or ten times a week, whatever, and they clearly weren't. But then they'd say, well, I've done it maybe four out of five times, which we kind of suspected probably meant one or none. But even so, saying, look, we really appreciate your honesty and saying that you haven't been able to manage to do it all the time. That's totally understandable. How can we help you nudge it up a little bit? You know, so we, we changed the whole conversation around, which was wonderful. So we were thinking then, look, how can we do this whole act stuff? It seems to work here. There's something really powerful. Can we do it at a team level, a group level? Because this is not group like a group therapy, you know, where you have a number of individuals in a group setting. There's something about the team level stuff. And this is quite a few years back. And I just happened, again, one of those fortunate things. I was getting some supervision, catching up with David Glanders up in Edinburgh. And I explained the situation to him. And I think the generalising the core design principles, the David Slane Wilson paper, had, had just been announced. I may be wrong with my years. Uh, is it 2012? Something like that? I'm not sure. So um, I saw this and I, I didn't really understand it, but I could see there was something really useful in it. So I think I just contacted them. I just emailed them and said this thing they're talking about, this pro-social, it sounds like there's really something in it. And the research team there were kind enough. They just sent me a paper version of the notes, you know, how they've been developing the model. So we thought, this is, this is fantastic. How can we start using that here? And that was the start of it, really. Jim, thank you. It's really powerful to hear how it it moved from the individual yeah. to the family. And then when you combine those two matrices, what happened? Yeah. I love that revealing to the different parties involved. And I'm yeah. fascinated by your work now with teams. If, if um, you're willing, tell us tell us a bit more about ProSocial, please. ProSocial, okay. So we, so we were looking at how can we work together as a, as a team better to move towards shared purposes and also what sort of things were we struggling with. And the timing just, just seemed to be at the same time the whole ProSocial stuff started. So ProSocial, I guess in its simplest way, it's how you can get teams to function better together. It's based in evolutional science, political science, and contextual behavioral science. All right. So the, the evolutionary part of it is that as humans, we're not so great by ourselves. We only got to think for a minute, you know, if you're dropped into the savannah somewhere with tigers and lions and stuff around, how long would you last? I won't make it to lunchtime. I'd probably be lunchtime. 
But what we do have is the ability to coordinate our behavior with others. And we can achieve far more with other people than we can by ourselves. And that's just such a blindingly obvious point. Sometimes we don't even see it. So we use the examples. If you got here today and you, you traveled on the roads, then other road users or, or pedestrians had to follow the same kind of rules and coordinate their behavior to get here for the building to work, for electricity, for the market pens to work. There's a lot of coordination involved. That's how we do things. And then it moves on to saying that comes as a, as a slight challenge there because we function as, as groups, we're social primates, but there's a challenge between what's best for an individual within that group and what's best for the group itself. So there's a bit of a problem there. So the short version is within group settings, selfish behavior works, but between groups, altruism works. So what that means is, let's say I might uh, say that I've had a really busy week at work, you know, so it's in my best interest to look after myself if I go away some of the weekend to just chill out. But that might not be what's the best interest of my family because I might need, be needed for driving purposes or something or getting on with some housework or, or driving to children places or being supported in other ways. Okay, so what's best for my family may or may not be what's best for the wider community. So it might be actually in this COVID times, it might be on the way home if I just stock up on lots of food and, and provisions and that kind of stuff. So that's going to be best for my family, but for the wider community and other more vulnerable people, that's not going to be so great. So you can see this is kind of tension all the time between what's best for an individual and what's best for the group and how we work that out. So that's kind of the puzzle, the idea of multi-level selection. And the political science bit of it is Eleanor Ostrom, who won the Nobel Prize in Economics for giving some really clear guidance on that. She actually studied groups who were able to balance these needs and manage resources over a long period of time. And she found out through extensive research, it's incredible stuff when you start digging into it, that groups varied in the types of things that they did, but there were things they had in common. All right? There were certain principles, these eight principles, that when groups followed them and paid attention to them, they tended to function well. The individual needs were met and the group needs were met. And then what David Sloan Wilson and her, their work is actually these principles, they followed from evolutionary theory and we can apply them to any group because you see the same pattern repeated over and over again, which is great. But to be able to follow these principles often means that individuals and groups have to change and change is not easy, particularly difficult for, for groups. So they turn to the CBS and the ACT community to say, look, you're the experts on behavior change. What have you got to offer? And it turns out, you know, things like the ACT matrix were a perfect tool. Because, you know, at an individual level that's saying, well, we show up as a collection of different thoughts and feelings. And how can we embrace all of that together and move toward what my purpose, what my values are? And really the pro-social stuff is doing that at a team level, saying that we're a bunch of different individuals with different needs, thoughts, feelings. How can we respect all of that and move together as one bigger unit? And that's kind of the main part of the core design principle. The bit that we take on here, in addition to those principles, the, the last one is about how one group relates to other groups. Okay, so a group that's working fantastically well itself, well, that could be a wonderful thing, but it could also turn you into quite, you know, turn you into a bunch of fascists. You know, there's a lot of in-group, out-group stuff. But a group that's always at war with its neighbours will never thrive. So what it then has to do is think, okay, these principles that we're using to function well ourselves, can we apply them in how we relate to other groups? So maybe if I give you an example of what's, what's evolved here, it might be, you know, we started with individual clinical work, that's kind of what we know best. We scaled up to families and you know, how can you align child and family interests and then how can you align family and team interests. But then we found it started going another direction. So our team, say cystic fibrosis, that's the one we've been doing it for the longest. It was initially a bunch of professionals with child at the same time rather than the team. So we might have physiotherapist, nurse, pediatrician, psychologist, dietitian. We kind of all got our own identities and our own needs and our own goals, and they potentially could be in conflict. So we need to work on an overarching goal that brought us all together. And that's great, and it really improved things, that's wonderful. But then what we realized is actually no one works in one team. We all work in different teams. So say physiotherapist may work in CF, but would also work in rheumatology or work in uh, a few different other specialities, or the dietitian might also work in diabetes or gastro services or something like that. 
So then we started to think, okay, there's going to be a conflict between people's times being split between, between different wards and different departments. How about if we use that pro-social model with those teams as well? So then we had, okay, so the physiotherapist really, they just got the pro-social, really went with it. So then they took it back to their other physiotherapists and we did the training and, and used the model with that team. So gradually we start to have all these different pockets linking in together. So it went from one team to across different parts of the department and then scaling up to different professions. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, this whole multi-level selection is how do we fit in with other groups around us? We're a district general hospital. So it's kind of, um, you know, generalist services for whatever shows up, but we have to link into specialist centres. And sometimes there could potentially be some conflict between that. You know, there's always a balance between local, we have more knowledge about the individual and the wider context of their life, but we don't have the special resources that they would in a big hospital if we focus on one area. So then we have to think, okay, so how do we bridge our relationship, shared values with one of the tertiary centres? So that goes back full circle, say, to the Glasgow team and the stuff they're, they're doing there. So then we worked on that. So you can see how it, it kind of builds and just builds upon itself. And the more people that are involved, the easier it gets. We all start to speak the common language. So we can be individual, individuals, individuals within teams and have our various differences and our own different needs. And we're able to balance that with what the group needs. So that's kind of how we've been using it here. Jim, thanks so much for your generosity and in sharing that with us, because I think it does bring it to life. And I love the way mm. it, it's grown organically. And it's a testament to your skill in sharing this behavioural science with people that they go away and tell other people about it. What are you working on currently and, and kind of what's next? So just to take a step back, okay, when I first started doing this act stuff, I thought, this is, this is great. So I read The Mindful and Effective Employee, and I thought that's absolutely fantastic. And those exercises are exactly what we need. Because I think where the pro-social wasn't working, we didn't really have enough individual psychological flexibility. Mm. You know, so we needed to kind of address that before we did the pro-social. Some people who I think if we, if we had done some sort of measurement would have scored pretty good on psychological flexibility. They just got it and they just go with it and just thrive. You know, so lots of nurses and pediatricians have just said, yeah, this is the framework that allows us to do what we want to do anyway. So it's great. They get it. Other people weren't quite at that stage for a number of reasons. And it was thinking about what can we offer. But at the time, I didn't have the skills or the confidence or the resources to, to roll out training for staff. And also, it wouldn't have come along. So I knew about the mindful, effective employee and really wanted to do it. But I couldn't find a way to, to fit it into the organisation here. And then, you know, heard about your act in the workplace stuff. And I've read your stuff. It's absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking, if we could just bring that here and share that at group level with people, that would deal with the whole ideas of psychological flexibility, introduce them to your three pillars approach. It's such a nice way into it. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Then we'd prime people so that when we go to the pro-social level of stuff, they get it already, you know? So I'd been going around saying about pro-social at the team level, but not quite clicking in terms of the people who weren't keen on psychology or their learning history meant they were cautious about it or they didn't see that as a part of their role they saw that as a separate sort of speciality and I was basically missing your act of the workplace bit that's why people were saying about speaking to yourself that's why I was also following you around Dublin while you were following me around because it seems if we put those two things together what people said the real benefits of your work it'd be fantastic at an individual level and people are functioning but as a team but they were um, embedded nested in other teams and other organizational structures which may not be as supportive mm. so they were feeling conflicts and they were feeling tensions and that wasn't something they, that they were able to directly address so i think for future developments is bringing in your stuff into that pro-social framework and just spreading it across different departments but that was before covid as you know we had a number of things planned but then covid showed up and we were redeployed into different areas so the areas I was redeployed into was staff support. So psychology support for staff during the COVID crisis, which was a new challenge, new opportunities. I think we had, I don't know, a week to sort of put services together. You know, all the clinics were cancelled, everything's put on hold, wards were you know, as much as possible cleared out. It just is phenomenal how quickly things can happen. 
And myself, I, I've had the real privilege of, I've got to work now with colleagues, old friends and made new friends from different specialities across the psychology department, across medical settings. And it's great because we've been responsible for staff support. And some of that has been more of a triage service. So you know, there's online resources, there's a phone line, and there's some great people who've been staffing that to support staff through this. And we had an in-reach part of the service. So that's going into the areas which we thought might be at a high risk of stress challenges so that might be ICU or particular teams who've been redeployed or or people who happen to be retrained in skills they hadn't used for years and that was less telling people what to do but more listening and sharing things that might be helpful to them and what really just worked was that act matrix that just really seemed to be the right thing at the right time it captured both that fear that people have but it also taps right into the, the value and the commitment and the, the love that you see in staff, you know, which has been fantastic. And then we've, we've been working with teams saying, okay, so this matrix, it works at an individual level in terms of how am I going to respond in this situation? How am I going to balance my individual needs and wanting to keep my family safe and my needs of being here and helping patients? It throws up some, some big stuff here. So we've used that as a kind of framework. And as I say, if it's a gateway, it opens up the conversation. And we can talk about how we, you know, can learn from compassion focused therapy, or we can learn from you know, basic self-care stuff. You know, we can learn from how we can communicate and put structures and systems in place at ward hand over time, or how we can kind of psychologically as well as physically change from our work PPE into our home lives and all, all this kind of stuff. So it's really opened up that, but it's also shown just the importance of teams. Again, you know, we don't achieve anything by ourselves. We really need each other. I mean, it's, it's so obvious and it's become even more so. It's all about, in my opinion, it's all about the team level. But if we have supportive colleagues around us who get it, we, we get through stuff. So we're hoping to develop that part of the service further. I'm not sure what that would look like. It's been a privilege to be part of it, you know, uh, to be able to contribute to it. It really has. I mean, we've been doing, you know, a few friends, we've been doing the workshops together. They've been running the workshops and trying to get this message out there about, look, we need to look after each other. We need to look after our staff. This is our most, most valuable resource here. The context we've been in has been pretty harsh for years. You know, people are getting crushed by just the system, whether it's permit austerity, whether it's the FUCA environment, all this stuff. But this is our most precious resource, so we need to actually step up and do something here. And it's not all about an individual approach. Is about how do we create the context and the environment that allow people to function well. And before, you know, we did the workshops, and like I say, you maybe get, you might get a full house, but you might get a couple of people. And as I say, one of them's just there because it's raining outside and they've wandered in. But all of a sudden we had rooms full of people. Like, my God, I didn't expect people to actually listen to this. But what you realise as well, same thing makes people just get it. They just get it, they just go with it, and they have been using it and then teaching other people on it as well. So it's not the only way to do things. It's just a perspective, but it's certainly have, it's got such such ease of, of use, and it's you know it's, it's so flexible in how it can be applied. It's inspirational hearing you. Yeah, and I don't feel I'm I'm bragging because I genuinely believe you know we're all part of a team here, and I know for a while there's absolutely squat all I do if it just left up to me, nothing is going to happen. So it's so nice to be part of this process. Mm. I mean, you know, at an individual level, I work in medical pediatric psychology. I wouldn't you know, one end of a stethoscope or another. You know, other than if a child banged their knee with a cowpole, that's about the extent of my knowledge. So I'm completely dependent on my colleagues and the team for, for knowing what to do, bringing it all together. And you see the same thing. The way this service has been set up really quickly, it's all about how we can work together for a bigger purpose. Mm. And you just see the same thing repeated again and again and again. So it's kind of cool to be a part of that, really. And then P-Supers. Me and Jim have already started the germs of a conversation about let's put our heads together Yeah. when we start to emerge into the next phases of the pandemic and uh, yeah. unlocking, etc. Let's put our heads together and have another conversation about this. So watch this space. More, more collaboration yeah, absolutely. Um, between us will be, will be happening. I'm absolutely intent That's on that. That's really exciting. Yeah, yeah. We're looking forward to that. Fantastic. Jim, you know, ask my people soup guests if there's a takeaway they'd offer to our listeners. And we've covered such a broad range of your work and your approaches. Are there any words you'd finish on? I don't know if I have an all-encompassing point. I guess it's just I'm always becoming more and more aware just how connected we all are, that we all influence each other, we all learn from each other. 
And I think what I learned years ago is every opportunity, every encounter, it's an opportunity to learn something. Mm. And I guess that speaks to the privilege of doing this kind of work. People are, they're vulnerable and they share um, personal things, whether it's from their, their history, you know, it's their hopes, their dreams. And I think we're really privileged and it's, it's, it's great to be able to share that, to learn from it and pass it on. And I think that's a perspective we could all adopt in our working lives, well, in our whole lives. But Yeah, sometimes I think, you know, we think, oh, well, I'm just a tiny cog in a big machine, but I think it's okay to be a tiny cog, you know. Mm. We can't all be Gandalf. Sometimes I aspire to be Samwise. Lovely, <laughs> lovely. You know? Jim, thank you so much for your time this morning. I'm so grateful for your generosity and in, in, in what you've shared with us and the insights oh, you've given us. Thank you for being so patient and listening. I hope there's something useful there. Oh, goodness me. Absolutely. Can I just, you know, say I really appreciate your work. And when I've been listening to the, the People Soup, I kind of felt that same vitality and that energy when I first started finding out about ACT. There's something really powerful here. This is something that's really, really valuable. So thank you for just doing your thing. I think it's absolutely great. Supers, that's it in the bag. I'd like to thank Jim for being such a splendid fellow. I'm such an admirer of his work and I look forward to our further collaborations. If you like this episode of the podcast, could I invite you to share it with one other person? I'm really keen to spread the behavioral science and skills with more people. Of course, a subscription, rating or review are also very much appreciated. The show notes are at rossmackintosh.co.uk and this includes links to a few different platforms. And before I sign off, our new feature, Welcome to the Gallery. This is where I'll highlight interesting stuff from the contextual behavioral science community, like resources, research and opportunities. This week, it's an article by my pal, Joe Oliver, and it's titled Low Self-Esteem and Other Superpowers, and it's on psychologytoday.com. Here's a quote from the article. The self-esteem movement has now focused for decades on improving self-esteem, so they've had plenty of time to get it right. Although the substantial research body shows that it's possible to increase self-esteem, or at least people's self-report of it, it wasn't shown to be all that helpful. A famous review of over 20,000 self-esteem studies concluded that boosting self-esteem does not cause any demonstrable benefits. In fact, inflated self-esteem has been linked with unhelpful individualism, narcissism, and reduced cooperation with others. Joe goes on to suggest in the article that instead of working on self-esteem, we could work on self-acceptance, that is, accepting deep down who we are. It's a short article and a powerful one, and you'll find the link in the show notes. I love to hear from you, and you can get in touch at peoplesoup.pod at gmail.com. On Twitter, we are at peoplesouppod. On Instagram, at people.soup. And on Facebook, we are at peoplesouppod. Thanks to Andy Glenn for his spoon magic and to you for listening. Look after yourselves, peace supers, and bye for now. I mean, it's just my idea, but if you could sort out a hamster wheel, I mean, perhaps you speak to <laughs> Joe Oliver or something. He's, is he on the committee, you know, or Ray, the high hegens? Yeah, he's saying. a man who, who can get shit done, I think. Joe. Yeah.